0: the Betfair Exchange. More ways to bet, more ways to win. Proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast.
1: The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate online resource for racing fans. Hello and welcome along to the Final Furlong Podcast, where the show goes on. I'm your host, Demis Kennedy, alongside a man who I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time, and the stars have aligned, if you like, all the way from Hong Kong a very familiar face, but a first time voice in the Final Forum podcast. It's Graeme Cunningham.
0: Everett, nice to hear from you. Thanks for asking uh, me to be on today. It's a pleasure and I hope everyone's doing okay at home. I know it's it's a really, really tough time there at home.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the issue is from a sporting perspective you're sort of the epicenter for us now you're kind of the focus of sky sports racing's coverage we've shot in we're recording on tuesday uh, so shot in will be giving us a, a nice dirt card tomorrow by dirt i mean the surface and not the standard of racing obviously uh, and ha- <laughs> happy valley has been has been the the center of our, our focus as well and i remember when i was Getting into racing initially, um, reading uh, an expert saying that you should watch as much racing as possible, international as well as Irish in the UK, because it'll help you understand the, the sport more. Um, I, first of all, my question to you then is, you're still racing in Tin and Happy Valley. Uh, and for the Hong Kong Jockey Club, things continue. How, how is life over there right now? Uh, it's
0: It's unusual. Uh, but it's not lockdown mode I, I speak to friends and family at home and often their first question is how are you getting on over there it's been really bad hasn't it and i think spin the coin it, it looks a lot worse in the other direction from from where i'm sitting at them and i'm sorry to say that here um things changed very quickly very early and i think that was crucial uh, as soon as it was clear this virus was on the move and posing a threat Government acted strongly. But I think more importantly, this is key, there was a real collective will to do the right thing early from practically everyone in the city. Very very soon after the problem emerged, 90, 95% of people on the streets were wearing, wearing masks. For a long time now, I can't leave my apartment and come back without having my temperature checked. If I go into a bar or a restaurant, I was having dinner on Saturday night, and they came round to the table and zapped us with the temperature gauge just to check if i go into the office i'm checked on the way in by heat sensors etc so they're looking to identify potential problem cases all the time the mask thing is an interesting debate some people say it's cosmetic doesn't have any great effect but people buy into it pretty much 100 percent here now you'll see some um how shall we say curless careless on the street expats who think um, it doesn't apply to them. Ugh. Just there's a social courtesy, it damn well should. Uh, but that's another argument. Um, people have bought into the need to tackle this for several reasons. One, they had SARS here 17 years ago, claimed 300 lives. Um, that has left a lasting legacy in people's mind. Uh, and secondly, people here are, by and large, very, very logical and, and thoughtful people. And if they have a choice between doing something that's um, safe and sensible and inherently risky, they'll go for the safe and sensible every time. So the numbers are staggering in Hong Kong. I still cannot get my head around why next door to the source with tons and tons of cross-border travel in the early weeks, 700 cases and single-figure deaths. If you compare that to every other um, major place on the planet now, it reads extremely well. But the vigilance has never dropped an ounce uh, and that is key and I think I'm not an expert on this nor are you but what I what I am confident about is that when all said and done and it could be months or years before all the inquiries take place the places that responded rapidly will contrast very starkly with the ones who didn't in terms of numbers And, and it's a tragic thing to say but already I think it's safe to say that's that's true
1: I was reading some of the statistics from Hong Kong, Graham, and I actually needed you off air to back them up for me because I thought I was either reading something from 2017 or it must be just fake news. It's remarkable how well it's been handled over there. And the fact that you were talking about each time, essentially each time you walk into your apartment building, you're being checked, goes to show you just how much of a stringent measures that have been taken over there. And you sort of alluded to how Hong Kong have reacted to the situation with, in comparison really to how both of our countries uh, reacted to it, the United Kingdom and and the Republic of Ireland. Looking back on it, and and look, you're not an epidemiologist, I'm not an infectious disease specialist, but with the benefit of hindsight, things are are very easy for people to point and blame. So Cheltenham is getting an awful lot of stick from certain people. Uh, The Premier League is also getting an awful lot of stick from people as well. But given that we're horse racing, from the far side of the world and from where most people think it's at its worst, but you were telling us no because of the action that was taken, do you think that they were right to go ahead with Cheltenham?
0: Uh, It's a fascinating question. And I think Cheltenham, it was a perfect storm in a lot of ways. An imperfect storm uh, is a better phrase in that the timing was always likely to be right on the edge of banning public gatherings. Um, Cheltenham, and I'm fairly close to this because I'm watching how the Hong Kong Jockey Club tried to stay in lockstep with the government at, at every juncture on this. Uh, that's essential if they want to keep racing. And Cheltenham had the government on their side. You have to spin the coin and say what would have been the reaction had they called the meeting off independently. They'd have been torched in various sections of the media fans are fans and they would have been livid bookmakers would not have been happy they may not have made it public so Cheltenham were in between a rock and a hard place and I don't blame them uh, for going ahead but as the week went on it was no question it was an increasingly bad luck and um who am I to throw stones but I think a lot of people I think they checked their logic in at the gate that week and they maybe stayed a little bit shtum when they should have
1: owned up a little i think we said it on the review podcast and if we didn't then it's due to an edit on on my part but nick either said it off air or he said it on air that there was definitely there was a serious muttering going around on the thursday evening that it was going to be behind closed doors on the friday and i remember Mm. what because i was at home watching it but covering it for uk radio which was a An interesting thing but the wonders of modern technology it's it's like this situation right now graham where people are in various different whatsapp groups and saying to me now how are you coping with working from home working from home Mm -hmm. well for me that's work like that's where my (laughs) that's where my studio is the only difference is whether or not i'm recording in in cork in the apartment or i'm recording in kilkenny and right now the best thing to do is to be in in kilkenny but um it, it, they did seem to seriously consider going behind closed doors on the Friday. and They were uh,
0: right not to. It, 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 that's, to me, that's a, that would have been the worst of all worlds because you either bin it, yeah. people make their way home, or you run it with the normal crowd because going behind closed doors would have put every pub within 20 miles absolutely rammed, and that is, as we can see from data that's coming through now, that is a classic recipe for the transmission of the infection So I I, I don't blame them uh, in any way for not going behind closed doors. I don't blame them for following government advice. But the timing of the thing, it could not have been better for Cheltenham in some ways. And in some ways, it could not have been worse.
1: That's really the key issue here, isn't it? That racing, because Cheltenham is such a a huge event and like the grand national it's it's a sporting event that gets a huge amount of attention so those who want to blame it or those who want to attack it because they see it as an as an easy target it's certainly much easier to attack horse racing than it is to attack the fa or to attack the champions league or or uefa so it's much easier to criticise Cheltenham for actions than it is to criticise um, Liverpool for going ahead with their Champions League game and allowing 5,000 fans from Madrid in. Mm. But you're still having the tubes running. And even the yeah. day after Boris Johnson announced the lockdown, like when, England, when when the UK finally caught up and went, OK, we're locking everything down, um, people were defying him the next day and the tubes were full. And I know people mm. will say, well, how do you get to work? Uh, but this is this is unprecedented times, and it, it's it's scary. I have a lot of family in London. It's really really scary. It's scary here. You know, my, my mother's in a very vulnerable position. Thank God she's she's recovered. But like, ma'am can't watch the news anymore. You know, she's she's getting quite emotional watching it, and I don't blame her because my mind is racing an awful lot as well. Um, but essentially. The finger of blame for this spreading doesn't go to sporting venues. It goes to government, because you've alluded to that as well, that Hong Kong are very much taking a lead from the senior officials. And if they don't say, all right, this is how we're handling this, and this is the right way to do it, then everybody's screwed. And it hasn't been handled particularly well. Mm. People can
0: blame Cheltenham. Cheltenham can point at the government. The government will then point at their senior medical advisors. And again, it's it's hard to quibble with that sort of policy. They want to flatten the curve, et cetera, et cetera, and make sure the number of people going into hospital is somewhat similar to the number going out. Um, uh, let's pray this doesn't get a lot worse, but it's bound to get worse before it gets better. And uh, hopefully the Cheltenham thing um, it, it is a debate that, is worth having, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all of this. There is, there is a very, very wide world out there. And I think if we just, if we just run the risk of centering it around one racing event that was legal and legit to go ahead, I think we may be missing the bigger picture, to be frank. yeah, The government, the government, the government.
1: Exactly. It's all about the government. And to be fair, the government on this side of the, of the Irish Sea as well, um, I think that there's an awful lot of things that the Republic of Ireland government have gotten right. I think there's a lot of things that they've gotten wrong, but for the most part, I do think that Leo Varadkar and his team have have played the, they've played their cards well, as Jane Mangan said. And uh, we did shut down our, like we closed our pubs and we closed our restaurants the Sunday after Cheltenham. So the reason I'm saying that is because St. Patrick's day was coming up. So that meant all parades were canceled. And when you're doing that in Ireland where, you know, Guinness is such, Diageo is such a major business. It tells you an awful lot about how serious we started to take it. Um, in In terms of racing returning, so you're able to continue. We tried it behind closed doors and then eventually we got to the point, and Sarah Linen was talking about that on the final furlong last week, about how that had to be suspended. We were talking off air about if you've got a big crowd at Cheltenham as the picture for the last big meeting of racing, when do we return? Because the current date doesn't really fit with how all of this is playing out. When do you, As you watch it from Hong Kong, when do you envisage racing returning to normal, In if we can even call it that, in the UK and Ireland?
0: Uh, well, I know that in Hong Kong, the idea would be a, a graduated uh, return to normal. Um, that is initially... Uh, owners are allowed to come then maybe owners with guests and slowly but surely you will return to something approaching normality but the date gets moved back and moved back and moved back I'm sure that will be reflected uh, all over Europe and I have no idea when you'll come back Uh, I suspect when when you do come back it will be behind closed doors at a small core uh, of venues uh, chosen pretty selectively I think the jumpers have um, had their lot for this season. I think it'll have to be flat racing when they go back. And a, a broader question is what happens with the really, really major events, the ones that thrive on massive crowds and huge TV exposure, talking about the Derby, Royal Ascot, et cetera, et cetera. That, that they're the key questions. And how do you shuffle the pattern race pack so that um, the big races take place in some kind of logical order Uh, but that's a problem people would really love to have at the moment because that means at least you're back racing again but the behind closed doors angle is key and uh, having seen it close up it can be done hong kong are doing it very successfully but they are making subtle changes all the way along there is seldom a week goes by when there's not a new change and first it was Temperature checks. Then it was mandatory masks. Then it was mandatory health declarations, saying you hadn't been out of the country in the last fourteen days. Now it's the social distancing. That's the big thing uh, now. It's clearly fundamental to attacking this problem. Uh, only one owner in the paddock with the trainer and jockey. Uh, one and a half meters between all these little groups that are have designated little pod areas within the paddock. Same in the catering facilities. But the bottom line is. In- and the strange thing in Hong Kong is that Happy Valley on a Wednesday night, chart in tomorrow night, chart in on a Sunday at the moment, in this incredibly densely populated city, the racecourses must be pretty much the most sparsely populated areas in town. Now, that doesn't completely eradicate risk. But when you see the visual of the races at the moment, you can perfectly see the logic for behind closed doors racing. Of course, there are massive financial uh, benefits from racing in Hong Kong. Uh, the community and the government benefit by tens of millions every week with racing being on. But also, the other thing is, with racing on, it keeps many, many hundreds of thousands, pe- uh, hundreds of thousands of people at home, and the enjoyment factor, which you can't quantify, mm. but it's enormous in Hong Kong. It's enormous in Ireland. It's big in Britain as well. But in Hong Kong, it's off the charts. Something like 10% of people here have a betting account. 10% of the population will be watching racing live on tele- television tomorrow night. So, there are lots of interrelated strands to this that make it a very complex, complex equation. But having watched it closer, and I, I have no problem with racing going ahead. I think that I think that the jockey club will handle it with a fair amount of skill and finesse. But always, repeat, always in lockstep with what the government are advising.
1: I think the Irish racing going behind closed doors was working fine as well. And the difference between our product and in the United Kingdom is that um, while in the UK, you have to have NHS ambulances which, you know, given the current circumstances, it's very, very difficult to argue how can you have ambulances at a sport event when, you know, the NHS is under such pressure and the people there are doing amazing work. But we have the Order of Malta. And so their ambulance would be able to be at Irish racecourses and therefore you wouldn't need HSE ambulance there. And um, I think that the work that is being done by both the nhs and HSE is phenomenal i have no idea how whatever level it is that you are at in those organizations that you are managing to do the job that you're doing i, I can only take my hat and tip my hat to them because it's just it's phenomenal the work they're doing and um it's lovely i got very emotional the other night we we um we did the the round of applause at eight o'clock because they mm. they, they did it in ireland for um the HSE as well and there was, it's it's a big town. It was just my mother and I and one neighbour on on what is a long street, but <laughs> we did it. And then we came in and watched the BBC, and they were showing London, and then Virgin Media were showing Dublin, and it was just phenomenal. It's it's nice to see. It's yeah. very very nice to see. Um, in in terms of Hong Kong, so you were talking about how uh sport is is king, and it's the statistics you just reeled out there. Ten percent of uh. Hong Kong residents having a betting account is huge. Obviously, things are slightly different there to the UK and Ireland, but in the sense that it's paramutual betting, and so there's a yeah. there's obviously a very much a a massive benefit in terms of the local economy. But we saw the statistics for um, for ITV broadcasting thoroughness, and uh, the next day how. Betfair's revenue is up 217% uh, for Downpatrick, and that wasn't on terrestrial coverage. And it just goes to show you how much, whatever about a bet, how many people were just tuning in to watch sport just to see something that's live. And Mm. we were the the last one standing. So Hong Kong is getting that attention now.
0: Yeah, you touch on a good point there, that it, it, it brings considerable responsibility to be the last domino upright but it also creates significant opportunity to to showcase your sport sport and and promote it and i'm not here on a a party political broadcast for hong kong racing far from it people can um do their own homework and 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 draw their own conclusions but um if you are in lockdown if you are furloughed or whatever uh, you know people using the time to to learn about something new I would recommend it. It's, it's it's a very, very interesting culture of horse racing, um, fiercely competitive handicaps by and large, only two meetings a week, Happy Valley, Wednesday, Shartin Sunday by and large. 88 meetings uh, a year uh, through from early September to mid-July, tremendous prize money. Um, It's like a Premier League in a way, in that we only have, I think we have 20 active jockeys at the moment. Generally, par is about 22, 23. We have 22 trainers, only have about 13 or 1400 horses. No trainer can have more than 60. And the market is incredibly sensitive, given that we're in a handicap culture. Just about one in three favorites win, Zach Purton and Joel Marrera ride pushing 40% of all winners. That's astounding. Guess what? The market's very, very alive to all that. So the secret from, from a punting point of view is to try to find the right horses outside of the obvious, the favourites, Zach and Joe. And the biggest difference of all here, Emmett, by far the biggest difference is, of course, people like to back the winner. Where don't they like to back the winner? But they like to back the winner and to have the second and the third. And maybe even the fourth in the exotics, the quinellas, the trios, the quartets, etc. So it's a super different betting culture here. But the key is to find the right type of horses to mix in when Zach and Joe and the favorites dip a little.
1: So that is music then to mine and also to Barry Faulkner's ears. Because essentially what you're saying is that the exotic betting, the box exacta is a big, big thing over there. Um, Yeah. And, and of course, it's huge in the States as well. And we have a lot of listeners on the Final Friarland Podcast who've started to either wisely or perhaps very foolishly follow me in on reverse forecasts. By the way, not following my advice, doing their own thing, which is much better mm. for, for for their own financial uh, well-being. But I love exactas and I love trifectas. Why do you think it is that there is a, a culture in america and in hong kong of being very open to that style of betting whereas you're almost mocked if you're doing it in the uk or ireland
0: yeah well there there are logical reasons for that and that first of all if you're betting win single uh with a 17 17.5 percent take out from the toll you're gonna have to be real good real good to beat that sort of uh rake um but also mentally here that the mindset is that uh, I don't want to go and try and nick ten percent uh, this week. Uh, they want to try and shoot the lights out if possible, and 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 you will hear all the howls and hoops and hollering at the racecourses when it's full, when there's a falter finish for second or third, and the twenty-five to one chance that someone has got in the tree or whatever just gets up for third on the line. So all those placings are very very important because the wind pool, I think, is it's not even the second most popular pool here the quinella and the quinella place which is any two horses to finish in the first three are by far the most popular bets followed by the wind pool and then you go into the trio quartet etc but it's a very different culture and of course um it's super different in europe by and large but i do think that balance will shift over time i think as the whirlpool for royal ascot starts to gather force and make no mistake that will people will be drawn in to the idea and the potential of being able to win um quite a lot for a little by using some imagination um out and around the less than obvious horses but um uh, it, it's a very long conversation we could have on this but hong kong is very different and it's made me a, it's made me a different uh, type of punter i used to be one of those what you might call angle grinders who tried to nick um steady profits here and there because i knew the the percentages were in my favor. You have to take a very different approach here. You have to think somewhat outside the box and you have to try to understand how a race will develop and how fancied horse A might run moderately because of the way the race is run. He might be a hold-up horse in a slowly run race. He might be a front runner in a very strongly run race. But you've got to pinpoint the fancied horse who's not going to perform in order to fill your slip out with... uh, longer priced horses who might shine at the expense of the favourite or the second favourite it, it, it's, it's, it's a homework thing here and that suits me um, it doesn't suit everyone, lots of people like to, to get in and out quickly on a race in Hong Kong racing it's seldom easy to do that um, you get your rewards for putting, in, for putting in the work
1: Adapt or die really is what you're saying there so mm. when, when you initially made the move um,
0: I've died one, a few times <laughs> we all have we
1: all. Yeah. <laughs> Cheltenham 2018 I was wearing a black armb- armband after it uh, Cheltenham 2020 was, was yeah we did well there but Cheltenham 2018 I, I, still, I still wake up in, uh, in nightmares, nightmarish sweats after that uh, when you decided to make the move to Hong Kong was it a difficult decision for you to make yeah. and, and how long did it take you to adjust your betting style to realise I need to change things
0: quite a while uh still say it's still adapting to a certain extent i feel more confident now um it took a long time to decide whether it's going to be i remember very clearly um the day i did decide or when the decision was taken for me i was working for uh, what is now uh, racing tv what was then racing uk and i was up at musselboro midweek meeting one of my favorite tracks very chilly day and i was umming and eyeing about this and thinking wow you know, it's a long way away. What if it doesn't work out? All the negatrons which go through your head. And fortunately for me, I have a, a better half, a long suffering better half who's um, very positive, very decisive. And she just sent me a text saying, We've got to do this. If we don't do it now, we never will. And of course, you know, I'm slightly over 30. That offer was not likely to come around again if I didn't take it. So we came here just over three years ago now and it's uh, as a couple uh, it's been the best thing we've ever done together by far uh, it's put us through the mill in some ways but it's brought out the best in us uh, i think i have a lot more um, a lot more uh, skills than i had when i arrived very different skills a lot more patience uh, i didn't have a lot when i arrived but i have a good bit more now and it's been a really really interesting experience it's it's an ever Fascinating place, Hong Kong, and the racing culture and the business culture of horse racing in Hong Kong. Uh, you could spend 20 years here, and you wouldn't wrap your entire head around it. So it's been a it's a really, really unusual experience, and I'm really glad that we came. Um, it tests you. It tests you in a lot of ways. I think anyone, ask Richard Hoyle's people like that who've worked here in the past, that they'll tell you it tests you. but Richard gave me good advice when I came out here. He said it will seem completely alien to you for quite a while for a good while and you'll you'll struggle and you'll wonder whether you've done the right thing so then then at some point you'll go out on a hike and you'll be up in the mountains or whatever and things will look a good bit better and you'll suddenly say yeah i can do this and uh, i've mastered it not by a long chalk. there are there are bumps in the road all the time it's a much more corporate structure uh, you have to have finesse. You have to bite your tongue at times. You have to think around the problem. You have to go along before you can go up. All those things, but it's um, it equipped me um, to be a, a much more um, much more rounded person. I think in the last three years, I will say that.
1: And when you say patience, because you've you've delved into a lot there, which is fascinating. But when you talk about patience in terms of betting, um i think that's something that we all need really and do you think that that has been accelerated for you for want of a very odd uh description of it by the fact that there are only two meetings per week and the <laughs> fact that it is a different pace setup and a different style that your patients had to be earned and developed in that way
0: yeah it's a good point it it's it's strange that there are 18 races a week. Most people will play all those 18 races. If you're a punter here, people don't differentiate that much. And I don't think they change, I don't know everyone's business, but I don't think they change stake that much, Emmett. They, they, they have a, a strategy and they go in race by race by race. I, I've never been like that. There are certain races, the, the class fives, I can't crack those. The, the, you know, they, they literally seem like Chinese to me. Um, <laughs> But the better quality races, I always fancy my chances. And strangely here, I, I think the mistakes are made, it, the higher the quality of race, I think the more mistakes are made in the market. I, I, I can't explain why, but I always fancy my chances in the really good races, better than the, the, the medium and, and lower quality races. Um, and especially the international races, I don't think the markets here are great at squaring up um, international raiders. If you look back to December, for example, uh, three of the four group ones at the Hong Kong international races were won by Japanese Raiders. And they were all really good prices. They, they, the, the market did not get them right at all. But with the hometown horses and especially the lower quality horses, the market tends to have a very, very, very um, keen handle on how they're likely to perform. Jockey changes if Perton comes on for an apprentice, if John Marrera's booked for a horse for the first time. The warning lights, at are flashing for all to see and the market takes no. But um, if you look at the turnover, there were 101 betting shops in Hong Kong. They've been closed for a couple of months now. Uh, not a soul, not a sinner on the racetrack on Sunday. And betting turnover went down 7% to just over 130 million quid. So you talked about adapt or die. Punters have adapted they've gone hard online and they have got their action back uh, in a big way. When, when you think of you know, a Royal Ascot or a Cheltenham that was run behind closed doors with not a betting shop in the country open, how much would turnover suffer? It would be absolutely torched. But here, people seem to find a way.
1: We've referenced Hong Kong a lot on the podcast, particularly with Hugh Taylor and with Neil Channing, talking about the amounts of data that is available in hong kong Mm. with a huge comparison to the uk sectional timing is only obviously just starting to properly come in and simon rowlands has spoken about that on the podcast and has obviously led the way with revolutionizing that for for atr of the data that you have over there what would you love to see applied to the likes of sky's coverage of royal ascot
0: split times uh, no question and 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 it's not even close uh i i think accurate split times um are, are a must for any high quality uh professional uh, racing jurisdiction now uh, i'm i'm very um open minded about the weighing of horses uh i don't speak to many people who who say well I, you know I had a look at the body weight of this horse and it's come down 25 pounds and that's what put me on or whatever. It's, if you can have it, and of course you can have it here because all horses are on site and they just have to walk around the corner to be weighed. When you have um, stables all over the country and, you know, 10 horse yards in the middle of nowhere, et cetera, it's, it's just not practical. And I, and that's not going to happen in, in Britain and Ireland in the foreseeable. Uh, and so let's not put that on layaway. The sectional times that is achievable. And it's it's a bit of a disgrace that people like Simon, who's a really old colleague of mine, we started on exactly the same day at Timeform oh, in wow. 1986, the Monday after Dancing Brave when the Coral Lip Stakes. Oh, wow. So we've we've been colleagues and, and sparring partners for a long time. The fact that he's, and people like him, are putting out so much great stuff, bookshe, gratis, is a shame, really. Now, I know he he does lots and lots of different paid work but he's putting stuff out there constantly he's put a thing on a bloody twitter today split times for the chris versus red rum grand national for goodness sake people are doing it and this is i'll broaden this out now people in horse racing in britain and ireland are doing so much because they adore the sport they're involved in the sport working working damn hard in stables in offices in media at race courses, et cetera, way more because they love the sport than because they're getting well paid for it. They're doing it on subsistence level money. And there's nothing like a, a while in Hong Kong to make you realise the stark contrast um, between the two financial systems. And my worry is, to go back to the original point of this conversation, that this coronavirus crisis will sink Quite a lot of people in various walks of life. It may put racecourses under pressure. It'll certainly put, you know, lower grade jockeys, stable staff, trainers, owners. It'll put them all right under the caution. Uh, I, I really hope that you know the vast majority come through. But the longer it goes on, the harder it's going to be for people to keep doing this, um, being part of this vocation, um, and not making a shilling out of it.
1: I know Cork Racecourse and Mallow spoke today about how they're fearful of the big races that they're losing out on and the impact that it's going to have. Hopefully, they'll be fine. Jessica Harrington was quoted today as saying that losing the Irish Classics would be terrible, but that life is more important. And her longtime friend, Nikki Henderson, is in the RP today talking about how it's the biggest crisis that racing has had to face in our lifetime. Mm. And Nicky's seen an awful lot. So for him to be saying that um, says quite something. There's some fascinating interviews on on Sky Sports Racing. There's some really interesting stuff on, on At The Races as well with, with people um, who are, are talking about it. Thank God I didn't tweet. I actually haven't tweeted about any of the content that I'm gonna do on the final furlong. And, and you talk about people getting interested in racing. Like the reason this podcast came about, You know, I'd started in music radio and then started doing sports commentary was because I love horse racing so much. And that's how this podcast came to be. And thank God people seem to like it. And here we still are. Um, But I interviewed a trainer. um, Today's Tuesday. So I interviewed a trainer on Sunday afternoon and we were about seven minutes into it and he burst out crying. Mm. and he just had to stop it and say no you're okay it's fine and he doesn't know like i'll never say who it is but he does not know if he will ever be able to reopen his doors again i can imagine and that's scary you know and i saw ali vance talking today about how um it's a bit it's a complete disaster in the uk that if you're self-employed that you're not really getting looked after and ali was very openly talking about the fact that her work is gone there's nothing there for her now uh and that's that's very tough for someone who's just had a child and you know i I wouldn't like to to think about what it's like to raise a child in those circumstances but if you're responsible for a yard and you're responsible for employment and and sarah linem made the point on, on the show that she had received phone calls from people saying do you have work available because they've been let go from other stables and her and her dad don't. You know they have their full team, and they're trying to look after the, the people they have, and, yeah. and, and maintain those people. And, and look, there is more to life, and this is this is deadly serious. And when you hear, sorry to get political, but when you hear a dope like Donald Trump talking about, how, we got to reopen by Easter, you know Easter's a special time. It's got nothing to beautiful time it's beautiful beautiful, time, time, beautiful time it's got nothing to do with my fantastic hotels that are all well sold out uh, like it's it's this is literally life and death but the tragedy you know? is that as you say it's also you have to wonder about those smaller stables that were struggling enough as it was and then this comes along yeah and it's nobody's There's fault a, but it's, there
0: is a strong case for racing coming back behind closed doors in a very measured, safe and responsible way. It can be done. Mm. I, I'm seeing it done here uh, week by week. Now, Hong Kong's Jockey Club's resources are tremendous, but it can be done. Uh, it's up to the uh, authorities in Britain and Ireland to try to be poised and ready to come back when 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 that window opens again. So I uh, wish people all the best. You know, the, all the people I used to see on the race courses, um, uh they must be doing it really tough, really tough at the moment. Bookmakers, race course bookmakers, not much has been said about them as far as I can see. No. Where do they go from here? Where do they go from? Just about to, you know, get into a, a really busy time of year, moving out of Cheltenham into Aintree and then the big flat meetings, etc. It it's 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 horrible. And of course, health health comes first every time and um this has to be done responsibly, but I think the, the back end of this crisis needs to be handled a whole lot more skillfully than the front end in Britain at least because the uh, the tardiness in, in grasping what was coming down the track um, is, was pretty scary to watch from a distance. But one thing that I hope people learn from this is those nitwits like Farage and Gove and people like that who spent literally years telling us I think we've had enough of experts if we can't see through those guys now, we never, ever will. We need all the experts uh, we can get, and we need them to be brought in early uh, and listened
1: to. Jane Megan made a brilliant point on the podcast, which was back in 2015, Bill Gates gave that TED Talk where he predicted this very scenario. And she said, I wonder how many global leaders actually watched that or spoke to him or took notice of it. Because it doesn't look like a whole lot did. Now, in Hong Kong, it looks like you did, because you seem to have been very decisive over there. But you have to wonder what the... That's it's scary. It really is scary. Getting back to racing, though, Graham. Of all of the data that you have, so you, you've talked about sectional times. At the races are constantly updating their, their race cards and they're very detailed. If there was something else that you could bring from Hong Kong over to the UK and Ireland, what would it be?
0: Well, something that's really useful here, they're coming on nicely in Ireland, I think, are barrier trials, morning yes. trials. All those are filmed and all, all those are available at the click of a button here. And they're not races, but they are something approximating to races. And um, you can pretty much tell whether a horse is ready to run well, uh, a new horse to Hong Kong. So you've got, you've got some pretty solid data on horses who've never run before. That that would be a really interesting angle. Now barrier trials are not catching on in the UK to any great degree, but they seem to be getting a little more popular in Ireland. That's something I, I find useful. Uh, in in order, I'm just looking at the you know the form of a horse called Flying Genius, who'll probably win a chart in tomorrow. He's a lightly raced horse, and for every horse on the Jockey Club website, their form file and their career file uh, contains obviously the form records ratings and placings etc performance by distance track work records you can see what every horse has done in morning workouts not feasible at home and it's not something that i i really rely on too hard vets records that's interesting everything a horse has done by a vet here is logged and it's on his file is it possible at home it would be expensive and i'm not sure all of it would be accurate but there you go um pedigree um, relations, et cetera. but the split times, which are there for every race are the absolute key. And even the ordinary punters in the stands at the race course, they have a, a keener understanding of pace and how a race is likely to set up and they'll bet accordingly, a much keener knowledge of, of how um, each race is likely to develop because they've been brought up in a culture of having that data and it's chicken and egg. If you give them the right data, They'll use it now, cast that forward a little bit. It all is distilled into the price. So if everyone knows or thinks that a race is gonna develop in a certain way, it will challenge you to find a slightly different edge. I've always been what Americans call a trip handicapper. I adore watching videos and seeing which horses really travel through a race and give me the impression that they're, they're likely to improve on that by a good deal. That's not necessarily something that you can just get by looking at the times of races or the split times. So it, it, everyone has a different way of, of trying to find a bet. And the most fundamental thing of all is the price. It's when you've done all that data and crunched all that data, can you be confident that you're getting a price above true probability of that war winning that's the same whether you're in ireland england hong kong or timbuktu so it's 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 a very very different system um very different system indeed but the same fundamentals apply but the one thing um that, that i'd like to take back if i could just transport it from hong kong into britain and ireland would be that uniform split times all across uh every track because although some people poo poo it some bright people have no real time for it that's fine you don't have to use it but year by year as we fossils get older and die off younger fans and younger punters will see this as a very important aspect of racing and we've both been around long enough to remember lots of people saying it's coming it's coming it's coming but it never really comes does it
1: no it doesn't uh, by the way flying genius goes in the 245 on wednesday at shot in uh, from Graeme Cunningham we'll get some more gold in the sand hopefully from Graham just before we, we wrap up but uh, that race live on Sky Sports Racing Wednesday at 2.45 The Betfair Exchange more ways to bet more ways to win
0: proud sponsors of the final furlong podcast
1: I believe Graham, and I'm willing to be correct on this because it wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong and it certainly won't be the last that January 2019 was when sectional times were supposed to be rolled out in Ireland still no sign and it was promised yeah. It was promised to us. I understand that Irish racecourses and the United Kingdom's racecourses individually are different. The way that they are designed and the undulations that they have, I still don't take that as an excuse, though. I don't understand how this hasn't been no. rolled out. And I certainly don't understand, from our perspective, how the HRI haven't leant on the, the ones who are expected to supply, it, in this case, SIS, and say boy, you told us this was going to be done, why is it not?
0: It would take a few months once it's in place for each of those courses to come up with you know, meaningful split times, par times, so everyone knows whether the race has been truly run, evenly run, or slowly run, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, Listen, if you had me on again this time next year, two years, I don't think too much meaningful uh, change will have been made because, as we can see, very, very important stuff. Keeps getting in the way, but um, let's try and be positive for the for the latter part of our chat. There's been a lot of um, a lot of naval gazing and, and negativity, but um, I, I watched Shelsham, and aside from the the political um, undercurrents, the racing was spectacular. Uh, I, I I haven't missed home very often while I've been here, and the reason for that is largely because I'm I'm quite a black-hearted, cold-hearted person, and I decide not to miss things. And that helps me. I'm not black-hearted or cold-hearted. I'm quite sentimental. But I try to subdue that sentimental side because otherwise you'll spend your life um, pining for stuff at home. I I thought the racing at Cheltenham was spectacular. Um, The flat season from May right through to October is brilliant. Britain and Ireland and France when you get down to our time, etc. Those high points in the calendar are still by and large, absolutely thriving, but it's, it's further down the chain where you, you really fear for, for people in the next few
1: months. Yeah, it is. I love the schedule. I love the way it's it's all sparsed out and please God we're all back in action sooner rather than later and can enjoy it. What's it like watching Cheltenham from Hong Kong and who really impressed you? Like, Were, were you up on things? Had you been keeping an eye on things or, or were you literally just resetting you know, yourself to uh, enjoy it?
0: I wasn't really up on things until maybe the weekend before, and then I started to, you know, delve into the, to the really, to the really good races. Uh, and I, I, I couldn't do the handicaps for obvious reasons. They, they take that impossible when you're, when you're at home with weeks to prepare. They're impossible so on the day, Graham. Yeah, I stayed up for you know for the first four, occasionally five races each day. That took me to just after midnight here. I, I thoroughly in, enjoyed all of it, the, the highlights, the obvious ones. Nicky Henson going off like a house on fire. And um the Triumph. Hurdle. Well oh, that was that was one of one of my bigger bets of the week. Oh, and no. um, yeah, least said, uh, too suspended for poor old Gosham, but um, no, I thought it was that was tremendous. And I, I watched um racing TV, and you know, uh, I don't have to name any names, but you can see some people that are they're right on top of the game these days, they're right on top of the game, and they, they really brought it to life for a for a, for an international audience as well as for a domestic one, I'm sure.
1: I thought Nick, Lydia, Jane Mangan, brilliant, just absolutely superb, um, Jonathan Neeson. They're just, they're fantastic. They really are. And I thoroughly enjoy watching them. And I always feel as though when I've, when I've watched them uh, and Steve Mellish as well, that you feel as though you've learned something new when you, when you come away from watching, watching that coverage. And I think we're very, very lucky that we've got two, I don't think we talk about this enough at all, that we're one sport and we've got two dedicated channels covering it. Uh, You know, there's, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of negatives in racing. But there's a lot of positives as well. And the fact that we've got, uh, you know, this this sport that we're in a bubble and we love so much and we've got two channels yeah. to cover it. We're very, very lucky. Um, and I've have... said
0: it before, uh, leave it for a bit and see how much you miss it. I, yeah. I, we went away to live in Switzerland for a year. Ooh, how long ago? Over a decade ago. And it doesn't take long um, away from that that routine, which is part of, every racing person's life it just runs it's a thread that runs right through your life every day seven days a week in, in in one form or another whether you're working or studying it or going to the races and one of the things i really miss is just going to the races it might not be a big one it might be a midweek Haydock, or a carlisle or a pontefract something like that or weatherby over jumps and just going you know wrapped up earphones in with a few horses that you fancy on your race card and just get on with it. And and you might have a great day. You might have a stinker, but um, I I would recommend for people who, and we all are very guilty of this, grumbling like mad about racing, about this aspect, still no sectional times, food on racecourses is terrible. All these boozers getting in the way on a Saturday. Once you're away from it for a few months, it's a very, very, very healthy reminder of of all the good things about the sport. So I, w- I would like to stress that. And uh, I'm due to be coming home um, some holidays in July. Uh, no guarantees about that for anyone with the flights the way they are at the moment and the situation. But um, I look forward to um, to going racing here and there in the summer if things are back on track. But nothing nothing can be taken for granted right now, can it?
1: No. But please, God, you will be home. Please, God, you will get to go racing. But I guarantee you that within five seconds of seeing someone wearing no socks, you'd be like, oh, wanker. Dear God, who yeah, let him in? <laughs> it should all be thrown out of the game.
0: It's, um, it's a thing over here as well, by the way. No! No! It's, a thing, oh, it's, a bit, it's been a thing. of but, but when we get to May and June and it's sort of 30 degrees centigrade, it's sort of halfway forgivable. Um, it's the combination of... No socks and trousers that stop just round about the shin bone that I I, I tend to struggle with. You won't see me like that anytime soon.
1: Shameful stuff. Absolutely shameful. There's no excuse for it, particularly in the middle of winter. And I've seen it sand down in December. What the hell? Um, Nuggets of information, Graham. Golden nuggets of information for those of us who are looking into shot in on Sky Sports Racing. So... Of all of the, the three years that you've been there and the years that you were watching it beforehand, what have you learned that we can apply to improve our own viewing enhancement of the, of the sport? But also, if we're going to tackle the car tomorrow and do a few bets on the exchange, or if we're going to do a, a nice little lucky 15, what can you tell us to help us improve our betting strategy?
0: Well, there's no real shortcut to this because... Um, If you're not familiar with these horses, you need weeks and months to get familiar with them. Um, Jockeyship is very important. You you have two or three, four outstanding jockeys here, and the stats reflect that. Purton and Marrera are going head-to-head for the title. There's two in it. Marrera rode five winners on Saturday to go two ahead of Zach Purton. They both have really good rides Tomorrow on the dirt, Morera is the dominant all weather jockey um, this season by far. Uh, he's got an interesting ride in the last race. It's number three buddies. This will go off at 3:50 uh, UK and Ireland time. Uh, John John Moore trains. He is a really really aggressive, enthusiastic front runner. He will have pressure uh, on the speed. Interesting. There's quite a lot of British. Um, Ex-British interest here. People remember Glorious Artist. perton writes mm-hmm. him, top weight. Run a, run a few for Charlie Hills a couple of years ago. Um, further down, King Shield. He was a John Gosden horse. His last run for Gosden, I think, was fifth behind his stablemate without parole in the Group 1 St. James's Palace Stakes at Royal Ascot. Red Desert used to be with Roger Charlton and one at Brighton. Turin Red Star used to be with uh, Rafe Beckett and was dead consistent, Uncle Steve used to be with David Simcock and he won at Beverly. Uh, all sorts of um, British imports here, but keep an eye on buddies, he's got Marrera for the first time, he's got a low draw, uh, draw something we should mention, 1200 metres at um, Chartrand Dirt, it's not an issue. Even spread of winners and placed horses all across the track. 16.50, by contrast, is a draw race. They're very quickly into the first bend. High-drawn horses tend to struggle to get a good position. If you don't get a good position on the dirt, you can be in trouble. Buddies is very quick from the gate. He's got a very smooth travelling, front-running start style. He's drawn three. He's banging form after an excellent second to a potentially good horse. On turf last time, comes back to the dirt. Um, he'll be well-fancied, well-found in the market. But Buddies, I think, has a big chance in race eight. I haven't done all the card, haven't had time. I've been uh, engaged on other things today. I, I don't have the luxury of looking at horse racing all the time now. There's a corporate element to my job that um, takes up some time. But race six, Flying Genius, race eight, Buddies should give you two good runs. A chart in. Dirt fest on Wednesday. Social distancing is never a problem at charting dirt night meetings. The punters tend to, how shall we say, watch it on the telly.
1: Keep keep to themselves, crack open a few cold ones, and watch it from home. Is is essentially what you're saying there? Just looking at yeah. but, just looking at him. He's he's by so you think. High Chaparral's best son. So already, I'm a huge fan of him. Mm. Already,
0: he's he's a fun horse to watch in that he he, he comes out against like a sprinter and he can maintain really strong fractions so he should run a really good race Um, we've got big racing coming up on Sunday the stars are back on deck Uh, we have three group ones on the 26th of April Champions Day sadly I don't think we're going to get the international runners there's 40 odd entered at the moment but look at the logistical um, equation Emmett your groom has to be here two weeks before the horse in order to do his quarantine, to clear quarantine. He's got to be here for two weeks in a hotel or whatever on his own or her own. Um, The trainer and jockey can't get in for international Raiders unless they're prepared to do the two weeks quarantine, unlikely. So it looks like Champions Day might well be a domestic um, set to. And this weekend we have the likes of Beauty Generation and Waikuku, in a big, mile Group 2 race and a fantastic sprint. Top sprinters who are on duty at the moment. Hot King Prawn, massively exciting young horse called Theron. Watch out for him. Mr. Stunning, former champion sprinter. Thanks forever. Good quality horse. So Sunday's a big day. Back on the grass at Sha Tin with the, uh, the heavyweights trading blows again.
1: How is that going to affect things in Hong Kong if we are in a situation where it's increasingly looking like we will be, that they aren't going to be able to bring in the international runners or even if there's a situation where despite the prize money the international competitors just aren't prepared to travel due to the current circumstances how much of a blow to Hong Kong would that be?
0: Well we're looking way down the track we're all in trouble if, if Hong Kong's in trouble because of course you can see the problem for the 26th of April that's self evident if we can't get international runners in December that means this thing has gone bad mm. really yeah. bad so let, let, let's not even think about that for the moment. Let, let's think positive and think that this thing can be rectified gradually through the late spring and early summer and that Britain and Ireland, France, Germany, uh, all of Europe, Australia's disrupted to a certain extent. Likewise, America, that the, the thing gets better globally uh, and that racing can move forward along with society because the two, racing can't go without society now. Uh, racing can't go without governments now. Racing has to be in lockstep with the rest of society. That is not a very familiar or comfortable position for horse racing to be in. The sport likes to run its own race wherever it can. Sadly, that is not an option anymore for quite some time.
1: Just before we go, from your perspective of being in Hong Kong and watching everything that's that's happening on this side. What would be your your message of hope for those listening in who are keen racing fans, but also who are worried themselves about the future, that things can get better?
0: Yeah, short short term, I think with with sensible, um, responsible precautions in place, racing can resume on a behind-closed-doors basis. Uh, And then, hopefully, the government will lead us to a place where they can say with confidence that things are improving and they're ready to start opening up race courses to the general public again. And more than that, and it's probably a forlorn wish and hope that the, we, we all retain some memory of how tough times like this are uh, and start trying to be a little bit more helpful and understanding to each other because we've seen from general elections, etc., that memories are very short and we, we soon resort to backbiting and and dogging a manger stuff if this doesn't teach us all to get along a little better then nothing ever will this place is very unusual i at hong kong i would not like to make direct comparisons with anywhere else in a racing sense this this is such a focal point of hong kong life um that it, it, it's hard to imagine one without the other as goes the government, so goes the jockey club, and they move in harmony on pretty much every path. Um, racing has to go with the authorities for the moment, but hopefully there'll be a brighter news in the next few months. Meetings like Royal Ascot, York, Goodwood can get the show back on the road, Galway at the same time as Goodwood in Ireland, and you never know. Um, good can sometimes come out of bad. I hope it can. In this instance but for the moment the next couple of few weeks and months are really really gonna be hard there's no you, you can't you can't sugar that pill can you?
1: No you can't and the only thing that we can do is as you say is be there for each other while being apart and I think what you say is eloquent because it's fantastic to see just how many people are pulling together and it's lovely mm-hmm. to see the respect that the NHS and the HSE are getting because now everybody can see just how much we rely on them, and mm. uh, you know it was quite a depressing time to rely so heavily on the HSC uh, for us back in late twenty eighteen and and twenty nineteen but they're remarkable people I have no idea how they're doing what they're doing now, but please God this isn't going to last much longer, and hopefully we'll we'll come out the other side of it um, sure. I, I can't let you go without asking you about the passing of Peter Beaumont, who tragically passed away at age 85. You must have come across him a a lot in your time covering racing.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you did ask me about Peter Beaumont. Um, If you'd asked me at any point in the last 20, 20 odd years, who are my favourite people to deal with in this sport, Peter Beaumont would have been top three probably top one because he was a diamond of a block and I haven't been doing much uh, Twitter or anything like that recently um, but I would like to pass on my best to all his family I know his daughter Anthea very well from her duties at Kelso and Cartmel and in, in York more recently but he was an amazing fella not just because he was a superb trainer of jumpers and steeplechases in particular but he would I'll, I'll tell you back to a day, and it seems like a million years ago. Many people listening to the Final Thelon podcast won't remember this. There was a time when there wasn't much racing on Sunday, and sometimes there wasn't any racing on Sunday. So you'd go and do the report. And I started off on after I worked for Timeform, I went out to work for the Sporting Life, and you'd do a, a big steeplechase. It might be the Scottish National or whatever, and you might be dead lucky. And there wasn't any racing the day after. So you didn't have to file your report until, like, late Sunday morning. So you, you'd have a nice day at the races, and then you'd put your report together maybe on Sunday morning and call the trainer of the big winner to see how he'd come out of the race, you know? And if it was Peter Paulman, it was fantastic because you had you got this really lovely conversation of gentle but also very informative and, and wry sense of humour – but always at the end, and I'm not. Don't get me wrong, Emma. I'm not knocking any other trainers for this. They're very busy men, and oh, why should they be interested in how a scribe or his scribes, the scribe's family, is getting on? But Peter would always turn the conversation round towards the end and say, "Anyway, how are you getting on?"
1: Oh wow! Your,
0: and, and then you, you know, he'd be chatting about about you and yours for a bit, and he was genuinely interested in people, um, and you. You came off the phone thinking, Christ, my day's a lot better than it was half an hour ago, just because I've been speaking to this fella. And his horses, his really good horses, embodied him 100% and that they were big, strong, dead honest and really, really lovable. He was a tremendous guy.
1: And Joe Dami would be one of the horses that he he actually would be him and the fellow are two of the earliest horses that I can remember and my mother bought me yeah. racing paintings a number of years ago and um, there's three of them. One of them is of the minstrel and one of them is of the fellow, but it's the fellow beating Dami in the in the Gold Cup. And he used to come over to Leopardstown and uh, bring Jodami over for the, the um, what is now the Irish Gold Cup, but then the, the Hennessy. Sure. And won it yeah, three years in a row. A
0: I, I, I was there for at least two of them. But,
1: you know, for him to win the Gold Cup obviously meant an awful lot for for i suppose for for that particular area as well like it, it just it, it would have lifted the area he did a brilliant job with judami to, to go and win a uh, a gold cup with him as well but also the fact that he's a you know a uk trainer coming over to ireland for the prep and then going back again it was yeah. it was fantastic and you've spoken about him eloquently and uh the fact that mark Dwyer had such a long relationship yeah. there and storm and norman came in then towards the end um yeah. remarkable remarkable man they were and-
0: they were war horses as well just to look at them big strong powerful horses young kenny another classic example jj henry uh in the early days hussard colonge nicky d um just just fantastic era in in, in northern racing and it, it's a hoary old cliche but they just don't make them uh, like that anymore that the Easter Bees are left thank goodness yeah. still tipping away um, uh, you, you think these guys will be here forever sadly they're not but Peter uh he leaves a right legacy a fantastic night
1: he really does and eloquently put and well said and um, a nice and fitting way to end this edition of the final front podcast I can't thank you enough Graeme for joining us all the way from Hong Kong you've given us a lot to think about some great insight into uh, hong kong racing but also more importantly i think some great insight into life itself and this is a time of reflection but also a time to be hopeful and um i'm certainly feeling a whole lot more hopeful after speaking to you uh, the very best of luck to you with life in hong kong i hope all stays well and uh, please god we'll get to talk to you again soon
0: it made me feel homesick emma but thanks i've really enjoyed it stay well everyone
1: you're a good man, Graeme Cunningham, on the final Furlong podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the show. On Friday, we're doing something completely different. Graeme's about to go nuts here now in a second when he hears this, because we're going to do our Cheltenham preview for 2021. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the earliest anti-post Cheltenham preview of all time is happening on Friday on the Final Furlong Podcast. Get your, get your notepads ready, get the iPad out. We're going to be having uh, top selections for Cheltenham 2021. Please, God, we'll be racing well before that, but that happens Friday on the Final Furlong Podcast from all of us on the team. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Will it happen or won't it happen? You can bet on it with the Betfair Exchange, proud sponsors of the Final Furlong Podcast. Have you downloaded the free At The Races app yet? With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.